Well, I continue to notice a lot of anger at Christmas time about what kind of greetings people are offering. I, I, I thought this would fade away by now, but, but people are mad that Merry Christmas is giving way to Happy Holidays. People, I've seen it on bumper stickers, I've seen it in yard signs, I see it all over the uh, social media, and it seems like there, there's just really something stuck, especially in kind of the collective craw of many Christians, because there's something missing now, we've lost something, and yet I suggest that the dawn of happy holidays as the standard greeting at this time of year merely marks the end of an era in which the world sort of acknowledged Christmas without embracing what it meant. The Happy Holidays era replacing what I might call the Spirit of Christmas era, which would best be manifest, best described in uh, the fact that every year, every TV show, at least for all of my childhood, had a very special Christmas episode. And in that very special Christmas episode, everybody learned a valuable Christmas-based lesson, and yet the lessons were about a sense of giving, some, some vague sense of selflessness, dislodging selfishness, a reminder that during this time of commercials and commercialization and mindless consumerism and conspicuous consumption, it's good to stop for a minute and remember your family, and care for someone in need. And all this stuff is good, but it's also perfectly compatible with happy holidays. You don't need Christ to be nice. And so when I see the end of this spirit of Christmas era, it doesn't make me that sad. And it had a good run. All the way from the 19th century with Dickens and Ebenezer Scrooge up through the early 90s with Steve Urkel and the Olsen twins and everybody. It had a good long run. And in a sense, I say to the spirit of Christmas, good riddance. Because it wasn't really the meaning of Christmas. And it gave everyone a false sense that they understood what Christmas is truly about. I mean, look at Ebenezer Scrooge. After his conversion, not to Christianity, but to the spirit of Christmas. At the end, what does he say? I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will honor, with a U, Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. What happens is that, in a sense, the inauguration of God's redemption of mankind is reduced, demoted, to the lowest common denominator of human goodwill and good works. And that's not what Christmas is about. And it doesn't really work. It doesn't keep. I know we're told that Scrooge was as good as his word and better, but just look around you. All the good deeds and kindness and all the stuff that seems to abound during the Christmas season tends to sort of trickle away as the holiday trickles away. Before long, we've all taken our attention back on ourselves and say, my New Year's resolution is I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. and I'm going to read something for me and then I'm going to work out and I'm going to do that for at least a day and a half and then I'll be done. It's hard to sustain that kind of works-based goodness and kindness. Then I dig down deep or I, I store Christmas in my heart and I draw from that all the year round. 
Think about it this way. If the people with the bells and the red buckets were out 365 days a year, you wouldn't even notice them after a while. I don't think that they would get enough money to pay the people to ring the bells if they did it all year round. If the pleas for money for special offerings for, for food baskets and toy drives were omnipresent everywhere all the time, there would certainly be diminishing returns because our ability to do good from our own hearts, it's not only limited, but it's tainted by sin and selfishness. Even at its best, Scripture says our, our most righteous deeds are as filthy rags in His sight apart from Christ. If what I'm relying on is the spirit of Christmas. The Christmas spirit is something that everyone can find inside them if they dig down deep enough. And it works because it's temporary. It's like the uh, trend in the 80s. I don't know if you remember this, but my mother, for a short time, and all of her friends went on this deal where they would cook everything for the whole month in like one day, one Saturday, they'd cook it all, they'd put it in containers, they'd put it in the big chest freezer in the basement, and then every day all I got to do is take this out and heat it up. And, and there was a whole day of cooking and toil and sweat and all this, but it was only once a month, so they could do it. Or, or I think about my last semester of seminary. I was working 40 hours a week. I was, I was uh, at school for 18 credit hours, which is like one and a half times a, a full load. And these were the 700, 800 level classes, the hardest stuff there was. And yet, I had the best semester of my entire academic career. All A's. Why? It was temporary. I could see the finish line. Like, I could do this for a while. Spirit of Christmas will get you there. Human kindness and a sense of goodwill toward men will get you there to a, a finish line and you say all right done for a while i think about that story that I've, I've often seen emailed around for decades now and i think it's grown and it went from a kernel that was true to perhaps something more apocryphal uh, about world war ii on christmas eve apparently there was a ceasefire and they stopped firing in the trenches and somebody began to sing Silent Night in German, and then others joined in. And then on the other side, in the American and in the Allied trenches, people began to sing it in their own languages. And before long, they were singing together, all human, not different armies, but people who, who were missing their homes and wanting to celebrate Christmas. And, and then the story grows, and the people come out of the, the trenches, and the soldiers then exchange gifts and greetings, and they give each other you know, a little tobacco or a little whatever they had on themselves. And then, and then I even heard a version of it where they, they begin to play soccer, and they, and they just kind of they embrace their, their goodness that's inside of themselves. And to me, it's just such a sad story rather than being touching, because at the end of the story, they go back into their trenches, and it was temporary. And the machine guns begin shooting again, and this person I gave a gift to an hour ago, I might kill now. The notion of the spirit of Christmas, I think it's temporary. It says, get all my goodness in right now, under the wire. The year's almost over, and I haven't been all that good, regardless of what I told Santa. And so I need to get credit, and it's all based on works. The reward and the punishment, they're based on works. After all, where did the chain come from that Jacob Marley wears? He forged it in life, right? One link at a time. And he tells Scrooge, you've got a similar one as well. And if you want to get rid of it, 
It's going to be down to how you live and what you do and what you don't do. Or Clarence. Why does Clarence the angel get his wings? Well, first of all, a bell rings, and every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. But it's based on his performance. That's how he gets his wings. This is the heavy weight of the law weighing us down, pulling us down. And Christmas is about removing that, not celebrating it. And, and these Christmas specials, I'm going to watch all of them this year too. I'm not condemning them. But almost all of them, with I think the exception of Linus in a, a Peanuts, a Charlie Brown Christmas, he gets it. He, he, he articulates the meaning of Christmas. He recites the proper scriptures and then promptly becomes a pagan and starts worshiping a giant pumpkin. But apart from him, there's... just the slightest bit of lip service ever given to the true spirit of Christmas. What is the true spirit of Christmas? Perhaps a better question is, who is the true spirit of Christmas? In Luke 1.35, we heard David read earlier, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. There is a spirit at work, but it's not some vague general sense of good bubbling in the cockles of my heart. No, it is the personal third person of the blessed Trinity, God himself. In the first two chapters of Luke, the Christmas chapters, the Holy Spirit is mentioned seven times. There might be some significance to that. Seven being the number of completion. This is a story about what the Holy Spirit is doing. And he's at work in the lives of John the Baptist, even before he's born, while he's in the womb. In the life of Zechariah and and Elizabeth and the Virgin Mary and all of these people, the Holy Spirit is at work. No one in these chapters simply does something out of the goodness of his or her heart or on a whim or based on a vague sign or a feeling that they had. No, it's the Holy Spirit at work. And Luke emphasizes this. In fact, as we've been reading the book of Acts, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. In many Bibles, I've heard it suggested that we might want to call this the acts of the Holy Spirit because we see that it is He who is at work in the church getting things done. It's the Holy Spirit in Luke 1 and 2 who fills Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, who directs Simeon, who conceives a child in Mary's womb. This is the spirit of Christmas. The Holy Spirit who indwells all believers, who guides and directs us, who who convicts us of sin, who gives us gifts for ministry to build up the body, and who bears fruit in our lives. And that brings us to our other text here, Galatians 5, and verse 16 and following. And, And we read about life in the Spirit, life by the Spirit. And we read in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Jacob Marley's heavy chains are not weighing you down if you are in the Spirit. The law has a job, and that job is to maybe, like a chain, bring you, drag you, drive you to the cross. However, to get you there, to the foot of the cross. And I don't mean drive you like an Uber driver, like here you are, but rather drive you drive you to the cross, and when you are there, 
And on your knees, there you can encounter Jesus and find salvation by grace through faith, repenting of your sins and believing in Him that He is Lord and He was raised from the dead. And then what happens is the Spirit assumes control and brings us into the fullness of life. And the Spirit is different from the law. Yes, sometimes the Spirit drives us. In fact, we read in one of the Gospels that when Jesus went out into the wilderness to be tempted, the Spirit drove him out. The word is ekbalo. Ek means out. Balo means to throw. The Spirit, sometimes the Spirit does that, but usually, if you've been a Christian, you know generally the Spirit leads, takes your hand, and leads you along, or rather takes your heart and leads you along. And the Scripture tells us here, if we're led by the Spirit... We're delivered from the flesh. If we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. What does the law do? Well, if we flip back to chapter 3, it tells us that the law multiplies transgressions. Why would God want to do that with His law? To show us our need for a Savior. The law is there to multiply transgressions, but when we've come to faith and our sins are forgiven, the Spirit strives to do away with the works of the flesh to do away with transgression, and to bear fruit in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit. And then we have, just in case you weren't sure which was which, example, kind of uh, lists of these are the works of the, the flesh, and these are the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh, it says, are obvious. They are clear, or at least they should be. We can group them together. Adultery and fornication. This is sex outside of God's plan where a man and a woman will leave their parents and be joined together and the two become one flesh. There's uncleanness and lasciviousness. This is brazenly living by the appetites of the sin nature rather than by the leading of the Holy Spirit. There's idolatry, lifting up anyone or anything to the place that God should occupy and serving that. Sorcery. Well, no one does that anymore, right? Except we just had a big referendum on that, right? That recreational sorcery. Go back into the Greek, pharmakia. Pharmakia, that's where we get our word pharmacy. And at its root, the meaning is these drugs, potions that would be used to change the state of mind and try and enter another plane common amongst those who were into witchcraft and sorcery and this sort of thing, rather than trusting God to bring us into the plane, to lead us into the plane where we need to be. In verse 20, we find a list of things that have to do with fighting against one another, leading all the way up through uh, heresies. We've got factions in one translation, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. That word is hieroseos, where we get the word heresies. Factions in the church. Factions turning against each other in false teaching. Or perhaps just getting together behind one individual and saying, we have it all figured out and you don't. Wycliffe calls this, quote, any display of party spirit. I think we saw some of that last month. People turning against each other based on party spirit and wanting to belittle each other and, and fight one another in, in some of the most vicious ways, most of which having to do with our words and how we use them. Although maybe in modern language, the next verse has more to say about the party spirit. Verse 20, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That sounds a little more like the, the party scene, right? 
drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are many who are even Christians who would say, oh no, I can live like that. I can, I can get drunk. I can, I can go in, in fornication. I can, I can do all these things. But Scripture tells us that if that is how we live, we will not inherit the kingdom of God because those who are born again have the Spirit leading us. Now, we may fall into sin, and yet those who are truly born again will persevere to the end, will overcome, because God won't let go of you. And the Holy Spirit will convict you and sometimes drive you or drag you back where you need to be. These things then are not what should mark the life of a Christian. And notice that they're called works. The works of the flesh. And then when we get to the good list here, the opposite of those things, they're not called works. Because it's not about works. It's by grace you are saved through faith, not of works. These things after we've been saved and as our lives through sanctification begin to reflect more and more the character of Christ, it's not works. I'm not going down to the workshop of my heart and banging these things out by my own strength. They're called fruit because they are being planted and growing inside of us. And it's the Holy Spirit who makes that happen. So they're called the fruit of the Spirit. And if Scrooge really understood what Christmas was about, the Spirit of Christmas, the Holy Spirit... These are the fruit that he would long to see born in his life. Love. That's a good one. This is not something that I muster from deep down inside of me. Love is action, yes, in the Scriptures. But because he loved me, I can love you. Because he loved you, you can love me. Because he loved us, we can love even our enemies. It's something that we receive and then give on. Joy. Joy is conferred to us by Christ. John 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Yet joy, you receive it from God. You receive it from Christ through the Spirit. The joy is built up in you. Peace. Peace is the gift of Christ. Back one chapter to John 14. My peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do you notice those first three? are three of the Advent candles. Love, joy, peace. These are common Christmas words. How often do you see joy and a Christmas ornament or a wall hanging or something to that effect? It's perfect because they're all gifts. Open them up. These are fruit that are, that are being born and growing in you. It's not about works. We've got faith. Faith also is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For as by grace we are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man boast. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Patience, kindness, self-control. Against such things, he says, there is no law. Did that really need to be said, Paul? Is there anyone over there going, well, I would have been patient and kind, but I thought it was illegal. <laughs> no, he's pointing out that it's not of the law at all. Yeah, the law is not contradicting what the Spirit is doing, but it's what the Spirit is doing that makes us more like Christ. It's what the Spirit is doing that works out God's purpose in us. It's not law, it's not works that you make you like Jesus. These are gifts. And again, how perfect to talk about this at Christmas. Jesus did say it is better to give than to receive, and it's true. 
But at Christmas time, this is a holiday that's about receiving. We received the person of Christ. He came down. And Jesus walked amongst us. He taught us. He showed us what love looks like. He suffered on our behalf. He died. He paid for our sins and rose again for our justification. There's no law against these things. In fact, Lightfoot, great quote from Bishop Lightfoot, law exists for the purpose of restraint, but in the works of the Spirit, there is nothing to restrain. It's not about works. Christmas, it's not about a spirit of what I should be doing and making me feel bad at the end of the second act. So in the third act, when Dr. Cox finally does something kind, I go, ah, rather, this is about fruit being born. This spirit who's at work is the same spirit of adoption by which we are made sons and daughters of God is the same spirit who indwells every believer, including you if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. This is a Holy Spirit holiday, not a vague spirit of Christmas holiday. And so, happy holidays, and may your Christmas be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you do something kind, and I hope you do, Let it not be out of a sense of guilt. That's how the law works. Let it not be because you feel the chains dragging you down like Jacob Marley, but rather let it be because the fruit that the Spirit has planted in your heart has been growing and has come to fruition. And now you're seeing it lived out in your life. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Holy Spirit being at work not only in Luke 1 and 2 in the Christmas story, And throughout the book of Acts, as we read about the early church, but here in our church, in the world today, in each of us, Lord, we pray that we would see the fruit being born, that we would feel you at work and see you at work and know that you are at work, guiding and directing us, giving us gifts and building them up, helping us to grow, Lord, convicting us of sin and leading us, sometimes even driving us to the cross once again where we receive forgiveness of sins and remember who we are in your sight. Amen.